What's up, everyone? This is the World of Lifting podcast. This is episode 55. You are tuning in right now. And our special guest today is the 20, the, the recent King Kong International Grip World Champion. How are you doing today? Tanner Merkel. Hey, good to see you, Alan. Yeah, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it for joining us. Yeah, joining definitely. Yeah. yeah, glad to be on. So for everyone who doesn't know um, who you are, why don't you kind of introduce yourself and tell them what grip sport arm lifting is yeah sure so my name is Tanner Merkel I've been doing grip sport now um, for about I would say probably been about three years maybe a little more than that um, I got into the sport because I did competitive rock climbing so I'm about I'm 28 years old and I've been competitive rock climbing since I was in maybe late middle school so anyway maybe probably 2005 something like that so I competed as a rock climber for a really long time and I blew my knee out and um, I wasn't able to do any type of climbing for a long time. And um, so I was trying to find ways that I could keep my hands strong and, you know, prepare, heal my knee and, and I'd be able to get back to climbing. So the previous year, my parents had bought me, it actually probably been a couple years ago, in my stocking for Christmas, my parents bought me a hand gripper. And if you're familiar with Captains of Crush Gripper, Gripper. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They they thought, oh, well, Tanner's pretty strong. Let's let's get him the hardest one they've got. So, you know, I had I had this number four that I mean it was a it's a brick. If you've ever tried to grab a four, it's it's impossible. Yeah. So yeah, right. So I had this number four gripper that I just bounce off of and I thought, man, this isn't gonna work. So I went online and bought a few more grippers. They came in the mail. I was kind of clicking them out and thought, okay, certainly there's a way you train with these things. So I got online and I found a website called the Grip Board. And after the grip board, I found some Instagram pages, started following people, found out more about grip training and grip routines, and found out that there was actually contests for this stuff. So fast forward a little bit more, I entered my first big competition at the 2017 Grip Nationals, which pound for pound, I, I actually won the overall. So that was pretty cool. Um, and then it really just took off from there. My knee healed and I dabbled with climbing, but I, I kind of realized that where I excelled was these lower arm, just strength-based sports. And we'd always kind of joked when I was climbing and training with my buddies that if only there was a sport that could just test how hard I could go like this. Like if only there was a sport that tested how hard my hand, how strong my hands are. It's like, I'm way stronger in my hands than my rock climbing reflex. So it's kind of funny people find this sport through a multitude of different ways, but I came at it through rock climbing. So that's kind of where I'm at now. Wow. So, you, so rock climbing isn't a thing anymore for you? You fully transitioned into to your grip sport and arm lifting? I mean, I actually went rock climbing today, but oh. when I was in rock climbing shape, I was about 170 pounds. And I'm, I'm six foot, six foot one. So it's pretty skinny. Um, and now that I'm doing grip, and I'm, I mean, I'm not a weightlifter at all. I don't even have a lifting background. Um, but now that I've had to do a little bit of just some style of weightlifting just to get into grip training, we do some kind of deadlifts on odd implements and things like that. I've had to put on a little bit of weight and I, I'm not as active because climbing is so much activity that I've actually kind of let myself balloon up to around like I'm probably 210 to 215 now. <laughs> so climbing is much harder at a heavier body weight. Okay. So Let's talk about your recent, um, so you are the 2020 world champion, right? Or is it international champion? I don't know what. So 
the competition that there's many competitions okay um, it, would, it would almost be like if, if you well i'm not even gonna dive into that but how, how would you do powerlifting and there's so many different powerlifting federations yep. and people say they have bench press records for this but someone else in a different federation says well that's that's you know we do stop and go you know pause you know whatever you and you're you're not doing that you're, you're just bouncing it off your chest or whatever i don't know yeah. all the terms but you know you see what i'm saying yeah so yeah. with with grip you can say okay well i won the king kong grip competition which i'll get into but there's many competitions that take place but so for this particular event that was international um i did win so um i can kind of explain to you what that competition was if you'd like is is the king is the king kong like would like pinnacle like it's it's definitely one of the more prestigious competitions that we do i would say if we're highlighting like four competitions that guys that are really into it want to to win it would be the king kong of grip challenge which i'll explain here in a minute and then i mean everyone knows about the the arnold classic you know the arnold strongman yeah. sports festival yeah so the arnold is a big one people come from all over the world to do the arnold and then um, there's the Olympia. The Olympia is pretty big. Like and then bodybuilding. Well, the just the Olympia like sports festival. You know they've got all types of stuff going on that weekend. Okay. Uh, so outside of just the bodybuilding stage, they've got other platforms and stages that have events going on. I mean they, they've got strong. They've got. I think they have strong man. They've got powerlifting. I mean, we we have a stage where we do stuff there too. Um, that one's pretty popular. And then the other one would be um, in Europe. We have the World Armlifting Championship, which takes place in St. Petersburg, Russia. Um, so I actually went there last year. Um, and that, that's, that's another really, really big one. So in-person is always preferred, but the King Kong um, International Grip Challenge that I won this year, and I actually won it last year also, um, is this year, I think about Two, around 230 competitors. I think last year there were about 250 um, from, I mean, multiple continents, many different countries all over the world. There's these people that participate in this. So kind of the short version of how this thing runs down is it's a four event contest that contests anything from kind of thick handle, pinching, and, you know, any, it's four different styles of grip strength. And then we all test that all around the world. Everyone's testing these same four events. So I live in Texas. We ran an event here, say people in Finland, they run an event with the same four and then all over the world, it's repeated. So people finish their contest, see how much you can lift on each of the four events. Whoever lifts the most, you know, you send in all that information to this guy named Eric Hussein and he compiles all the, all the data and then spits out a list of you know, who's at the top, who's at the bottom, and then breaks it down by every event. So it's virtual, but at the same time, there still is a lot of people that are really interested in this. And out of like around 230 guys this year, I, I came out on top. So if, if you've never seen grip equipment before, um, it may be kind of hard to understand what I'm talking about, but I think a lot of people have seen Rolling Thunder or Fat Grips. So it's one of the events is something very similar to that. And then the other events would be something akin to just like pinching two 45s together, but you just add as much weight as possible or like pinching a big two by four, but with weight added onto it. And so there's all these different styles of lifts, but 
Um, anyway, that, that was the event that I won this year. And that was uh, a couple weekends ago, October 24th or something like that. Yeah, if you guys um, want to know more about arm lifting, uh, I'm pretty sure almost every listener here knows who, who uh, John Call is, uh, a.k.a. Juji Mufu. He's always he's always doing the grip implement implements the rolling thunder the the pinch block the what's the one where you you jam your fingers around that little the hub circle? the hub yeah the hub uh, yeah he, he did it with Thor Larry Larry Wheels yeah they're all they're into it um they're they're certainly not um like competitive they're not they're not on a very competitive level I mean I'm, I'm yeah. glad that he's putting it putting it out. Yeah. and getting the word out there um and they have their own equipment uh gripgenie.com they sell stuff but um what, what we mostly contest is equipment from uh fat bastard barbell company equipment from Soren, some Sorenex bars um and then iron mine sells a fair amount of equipment and so i would say like probably the best resource if someone didn't know what any of this was and they're just like what are you even talking about the biggest organization right now is Armlifting USA. So there's Grip Sport International, which is which is good. They're doing a lot of good stuff. They they put on King Kong, um, but the people that are running these expos at like the Arnold and things like that, their um, website would be armliftingusa.com. Ricardo Magni is the he runs a lot of their stuff, and uh, they, they do a pretty good breakdown on the website, kind of what the sport is, when the latest contests are, and. Uh, what all these weird grip implements are that BCS doing. You follow the hashtag too on Instagram. That's a pretty interesting way to kind of see different things too. So with all these different types of grip, like you, you said, your four types of grip, mm-hmm. which one would you say like would translate into like real world stuff, like like climbing like this, like a rock wall or like, you know, crushing an egg or something or like, like martial arts, yeah. like judo. I would say probably, um, Thick bar is probably the best. So okay. thick bar being like the rolling thunder or your fat grips, things like that, where your hand is basically like grasping a Coke can. Um, axle axle it, bar. That, what's that? Like the uh, axle bar as well? Yep, yep exactly. Okay. Like an axle deadlift. That would be part of your meat and potatoes of, of building a grip strength program. I would say, you know, axle deadlifts. I don't know if you've seen uh, a Saxon bar. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard of that. What is that? Okay, so a Saxon bar is, imagine a deadlifting bar, but instead of a bar, it's like a, a big long two by four. And then you you have the normal little, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like horns on the end, just to put your plates on, you know? Yeah. So it's like, a, it's like a normal bar, but instead of it being an axle or just an Olympic bar, it's literally like a big two by four that you pinch. But oh, you like can, a, oh, okay. A rectangular prism? We probably don't have video on this, huh? This is probably all audio. I was going to show you, but um, anyway, it's uh, there's all different sizes. There's Saxon bars that are thin, two inches. There's Saxon bars that get wider and wider all the way out to about three inches, maybe the size of like a blockbuster pinch from Iron Mind. Um, I would put that in there too, just heavy pinch deadlifts, heavy axle deadlifts. If you don't have a Saxon bar, you can just start pinching two 25 pound plates together, two 35 pound plates. Um, Really, I think thick bar is probably the the best one to start. A big mistake people make with grip strength 
when you're when you're asking what what's the best place to start you know what what am i going to do to train this for real life okay it's probably not the best to do hand grippers and hand grippers are super fun they're very collectible everyone relates to them everyone's dad had one laying on their office desk that they just click away while they're on conference calls it's just like yeah. it's something people have seen clearly you know i've got tons of them behind me yeah, like, yeah. tons i mean I probably have 40 hand grippers. It's, you know, Jeez. You, you get them because they are contested. I mean, if you're into grip competitions, they, they're in grip competitions. But just as far as what's going to translate to your real life day-to-day grip strength, for whatever reason, the captains of crush hand grippers, they just don't really translate to much else other than being really good at doing that one thing. Okay. Um, yeah, their strength sports are, you know, it's like that for everything. You look at guys that are really into arm wrestling too, and you get really, really oh, good yeah. just doing this. And I mean, you say, okay, well, how much do you bench? And some of these guys, they don't bench much over 225. Or, I mean, I'm sure John Brzezink, one of the world's best arm wrestlers, I'm sure he probably doesn't squat more than 250. So it's like, it's these things that we get really pigeonholed whenever you get into strength sports. So that's kind of where I find myself in the, in the grip world. It's like, this is just all I do. Yeah. I, I started training grippers as well, thinking that it would increase, well, it does increase your grip strength, but then now you said grippers only translate to grippers. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So that's, yeah, I, I ended up getting a rolling thunder, but cause what, what I lack in the deadlift sometimes, uh, sometimes I can't finish it. I'll, I'll like start pulling and then sometimes it will just slip right out of my hand and, and the strength is there. It's just my hands just give out sometimes. So, I mean, one thing I would think about that is I'm trying to think of a good analogy here. But um, so if on just a normal Olympic bar, the bar slips out whenever you get into really heavy deadlifts, that's going to be a grip like, like kind of like this, you know, where you're, where you're hooking and where uh, uh, rolling thunder, you're more in this open position. So... I bet it, it would help. I mean, getting stronger is certainly not going to be a disadvantage for you, but I would imagine sport specificity would maybe even be better. Like, like just getting in a rack, like heavy rack, like not even heavy rack poles, but just pulling a bar out of a rack, like double overhand, no hook grip. And then oh, okay. just doing, like whenever I'm working towards building my grip strength on one particular thing, I'll do holds. So I'll do like, sets of about eight second holds and if i can hold longer than eight seconds it's probably or maybe 12 seconds it's probably too easy so i'll do like maybe three to five sets where i'll pick it up hold for eight seconds and then maybe it's not my max yet i could i could go a little longer i'll set it down i'll pick it up hold for eight seconds set it down pick it up one more time hold for eight seconds set it down none of that set was an absolute max and i'll run that maybe three to four times and then on my last set, it's like, it's desperation. I might have to switch to a mixed grip. I might be actually going hook grip at this point. But I think that that style of training, if you were just going to be talking about dropping Olympic bar deadlifts, I think that might be more beneficial for you than training thick bar on a rolling thunder. Because what that's going to do is get you really good at other thick bar events. Yeah. Um, so sometimes I feel like that's sort of a difficult thing to like convey. It's just like, doing this stuff is all beneficial and getting stronger is always good, but what you're going to get best at is what you're doing. You, you know what yeah, I mean? That's, yeah, that's, yeah, just, just keep on practicing. 
what yeah, we've already been doing. It's, it's a skill. It's a skill. You know, it's like if you're getting like what's like what's a good analogy for it? I mean, like practicing like a like a kick. You do it like ten thousand times, like Bruce Lee. You get better at that one like kick. That or, or yeah, I mean. I was trying to think, I mean, because you come from a powerlifting background, I was trying to think of what people do that, yeah, that, that might be like kind of counterintuitive saying, oh, you know, your, your back squat is lagging severely. You need to be doing tons of, you know, I don't know. People start incorporating, oh, kettlebell swings is going to make my back squat so much better. It's like, oh, may, maybe it will, maybe it won't, but you're going to get really, really good at kettlebell swings. Yeah. You know? And maybe focusing on different back squat variations would be better for, you know, getting into front squats or getting into paws and things like that. Maybe that would be more beneficial. But I, I've always noticed that sports specificity is, is the most important thing. It's like, for, like, for example, when I'm training for an event or I'm training for, I, I compete in grip sport. So they'll release, <clears throat> say there's an upcoming competition and it says, okay, you're going to have the axle deadlift. You're going to have the hub uh, and the rolling thunder. Let's say it's a three event contest. I'm probably only going to train those three things for like a couple months leading up to the competition. I'm not going to do anything else. I'm not going to be benching. I'm not going to be squatting. I mean, not that I'm a big lifter anyways. I'm not going to be climbing. I'm just going to do those three things. And I'm probably going to get super out of shape and deconditioned for almost everything else. Oh, okay. But I'm only doing that. And I think I'm one of the few people that trains like that. But it works for me because I've been, I've been doing pretty well in competitions, and so like I'll split all of my time and energy. Um, if any of if you guys listening follow Devin Larrett, he has a really interesting thought on this. He calls it the way of the giant pumpkin or something like the way of the great pumpkin. Okay. Where in arm wrestling, where most of the money is is pulling on right-handed uh, matches. Right-handed matches are what. All of the organizers are promoting. That's where all the money is. The left hand is kind of like for fun, but no one's really pulling left hand for money. So if I wake up in the morning with a certain amount of energy for the day, I'm going to devote all my time. This is what Devin does. He devotes almost all of his time and energy into training his right hand. And he almost doesn't even do anything with his left. He might arm wrestle you for fun with his left, but all this training is on his right hand. So you can maximize all of your CNS force into building that side. So that, that's what I'll do. If I know that the hub is going to be in a competition, the hub lift, which is a one-handed, just one-handed kind of crimp deadlift, that's only a right-handed event for me because I'm so much stronger right-handed than I am left-handed on the hub that I'll only train hub with my right hand. I won't even put the hub in my left hand for two months leading up to the competition. And that's coming back to that sports specificity thing. That's all I'm going to do. Because if I, if I split it 50-50, and say, oh, it's going to be hub right-handed, rolling thunder, always left-handed for me. If I said, oh, I want to be balanced, I'm going to train hub with my left hand too, and I'm going to train rolling thunder with my right hand too. I'm going to split it up all the time. I'm just going to be halfway decent at both of those things, whereas I'm going to say left hand is my only my rolling thunder hand, right hand is only my hub hand. That way I can train it every other day. Whereas if I split it up 50-50, I'm constantly kind of fatigued and I'm going to be training suboptimally. Um, I'm probably one of the only people to tell you that. It's probably not great advice if you're not a grip guy. But if your thing is to train grip competitions, I think people start needing to incorporate some of that. You know, I don't know. I still feel like I'm balanced enough, but it, I do that leading up to competitions. Yeah, your, yours 
your your style of training, I feel like you need to know a lot about yourself, though. You need to have a lot of experience to know, like which which hand is better for rolling thunder, which hand is better for the hub, like how, oh, wow. how I yeah how I pull with the axle bar stuff like that. I mean, absolutely. I'm sitting in a garage here, completely full of just grip training equipment. It's like I kind of jumped into this thing head first and bought everything, learned all I could about it, and found out I was pretty decent at it. So you definitely, um, as a new guy coming in, it's there, there's a lot to learn. But um, the most important thing and what makes all sports fun is finding a group of guys that all have the same interests and um, kind of build each other up. And I, I think it's more fun whenever it's a, it's a group aspect. So that's kind of how I started learning all these things is I started training with Tommy Jennings, Eric Milfeld, Robert Nujedli, Adam Glass, and Michael Hain. And we all kind of bounce ideas off of each other. And that's where I learned a lot of this from. I didn't just kind of come up with it all on my own, so. Yeah, I feel like I should learn who those people are now that you mentioned those. They're probably very, very strong people. Most of them are lo some local guys. Um, at, you know, you, you might have heard about Adam Glass. He's pretty big into um, old-time strongman. Um, he, he's worth following on Instagram. He, he's done some pretty crazy things. Like, for example, uh, something that's been going around on the Internet is curling a 45-pound plate. Have you seen that? Yeah, I think that might have became popular because of Larry, Larry Wills. Sure. I think I think exactly. he did that, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I was wondering if you'd seen that video. Yeah. So, um, my friend Adam is the, he might be the only person alive right now, uh, maybe five people that can actually do this, like standing up against a wall, like elbow to a wall, like curling it, like that. Wow, is it that hard? Jeez. Well, you watch Larry do it. Larry literally, when he was training with that guy or Khaled, you know, yeah. and um. Larry picks up that 45 plate and then he goes to curl it and just goes like bent wrist, couldn't yeah. do anything with it. I mean, and Larry is a 900 pound deadlifter. It's like, he's extremely strong. Yeah. And my, my friend Adam can do that. So he, yeah, he's worth, I mean, I think he's Adam T glass on Instagram. He's worth looking up. Um, we're both in the Dallas, Texas area. So it's, it's fun. He's really, you know, top end grip guy. So having guys that push you is really helpful in training, I think. Well, it seemed to work out for you, your training style and your methods, because you are, have you won more than twice? I feel like you've won more than twice. Yeah, so like I, King won Kong. King Kong, I won King Kong twice. And the first year, I've done it three times. The first year I did it in 2017, I won my weight class, but I didn't win the overall. I got, uh, I think I got, I know I got top 10, but I don't, I don't remember where I placed. In, in that year, I think I was 170 pounds. Um, you know, have I done it four times? I think I've done it. I've done it four times. Yeah, I've done it four times. Um, either way, I've won the whole thing for the overall, you know, regardless of weight class. I've won that twice. And that, that, that's the King Kong grip challenge, you know. Um, but outside of that, I mean, I've, I've done well at other competitions too, but that's the one that, you know, everyone can participate in because you don't have to travel, right? So, yeah. Yeah. I think Jed Johnson won one of those one one of those years, right? Twenty eighteen. Jed something. Johnson won in two thousand or twenty fifteen. I think fourteen or fifteen. Two thousand fifteen. I think. I think Gil Goodman maybe won two thousand sixteen or yeah. Jed's won it uh, once, I think. 
There's only one other guy that's won it twice. His name's Alexei Tukolov. He's like a professional athlete from Russia. He's like crazy strong. Wait, is he the guy that has the Rolling Thunder record? Wait. He, he does. Um, you know, the Rolling Thunder is one of these things. Um, you, so you, you've had got your hands on a Rolling Thunder before. I um, never have. He, uh, it's coming on like Wednesday. I, ah, I see. Okay. Yeah. So the Rolling Thunder is a great, great product. It's a good way to train. And if you're training for strength, it's really no issues. But um, as a contested implement, it's a little bit difficult because it's a plastic sleeve that goes over a piece of metal. And as that sleeve just ages and chalk gets in there and oil gets in there, it really stops spinning very well. So your numbers just continue to go up and you're like, man, I'm so strong. I'm free. <laughs> you know? And so on an old kind of first generation handle, I can pull like, I don't know, like 320, like 330. But on a new handle, I might only be able to pull like 270. So it's it's a huge difference. So when you look at, I, I say that because when you look at these records from Alexei Tukalov, he's very strong. I mean, and uh, I mean, Lane Snook is up there. I don't know if he's ever had the record, but uh, Mark, I don't know if Mark Felix did either, but I know Alexis was on there. And he, it's like, they need to update these records with the new models of Rolling Thunder because they've come out with three models now. And the record that they have on their website is still the record from the first or second generation model that spins oh. a lot differently than the one does now. So, I mean, it's almost like if, Forever and always, let's say we only considered like deadlifting records on whatever you could do unequipped, double overhand, no hook grip. And then that's all the record ever was. And then a couple of years later, everyone decided, hey, no, you can use mixed grip, you can use hook grip. Oh, and the bar's smaller um, or thinner in <laughs> diameter. So whatever. And now all of a sudden the record went through the roof and it's like, oh, wow, congratulations. So I, I have a little bit of a beef with the Rolling Thunder just because they keep changing it. And as a competitor, it's like, you kind of look at that and you go, oh, the new generation Rolling Thunder is like really tough. They kind of changed the plastic a little bit. It's more like a vinyl record, kind of like that, um, if you ever run your finger across a vinyl record, it kind of sounds like that and it spins better. So it, it's a little bit harder. Um, there's, there's other versions of Rolling Thunders. I mean, the Rolling Handles that are better. The Braille Strength System Trilobite, the FBBC Crusher. Um, those are two other ones that are local the napalm's nightmare from arm assassin strength shop those are all better handles in my opinion but that as a competitor if you're just training thick bar the rolling thunder is fine but those are some of my little qualms there though i had no idea i just got the inside scoop right there so these records are because I, I remember watching brian shaw do the rolling thunder handle and he had the first generation it was like a black handle i think yeah i'm so glad you know that so that handle i pulled like 330 on and Brian Shaw did not pull that much in that video. He pulled like 315 or something. I'm sure Brian is stronger than me on thick bar, but I mean, he, on his first generation, pulled like, I think that video he pulled up to, you know. I thought he did like high 200s or something. I keep forgetting. Might have been, yeah, yeah. It yeah. could have been something like that. So exactly. So yeah, you, you've looked into this. That's, <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty astute to notice that. I mean, um, yeah, that's first generation. The new ones are much different. Um, I'm sure we, we don't have video, but I've got two different models here that you can see the difference. Um, so, yeah. so just the newer ones, they have like more revolutions, like they could spin better. 
do you want me to show you or is it not going to do any good probably all viewers can't or listeners probably can't see it uh, well listeners can't see it so i don't <laughs> yeah, you can probably hear it though will it, will it make a sound I'll grab two of them. so just real quick this is the old one it's hollow this is the new one it has the end cap i just this one i keep chopped but look when i go to drop the handle oh what the yeah, right. You guys can't see it's very it's dropping very slow. Yeah. So here's the new one. Oh wow. It drops. Can you like yeah. put like three in one oil on the older one? Like would that make a difference? You you could, but then that almost just attracts dust and then it just kind of gums up a little bit. I, I've tried and it makes it I mean it'll help a little bit, but that helps more on things that run on bushings and bearings. Oh, like barbells, okay. But also, you could probably hear this. This is the this is the new generation. Like, if I run my fingernails on the plastic. Oh wow! Right, and now here's the old one. Wow, that's just it's nothing. A <laughs> it's a different plastic, so it's th that makes a difference. Um. Anyway, I mean, you, you're talking to probably one of the nerdier guys in this sport that like. Pays I, I, I that. like listening to this. Yeah. So I was talking to one of my buddies that's really into the sport. I mean, really into army. And um, he trains it just as much as I do. And I said, well, what do you think that like the new generation of Rolling Thunder has this like checkered kind of like vinyl texture to the plastic? And I said, what do you think about that compared to the old ones that just use just normal plastic with no texturing on it? And I said, what are you talking about? I'm like, you guys didn't notice that? <laughs> so, wow. So I'm, I'm, I'm constantly kind of having to take a step back and being like, you know what, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't open my mouth and let people know how nerdy I am about this stuff, but whatever. I mean, well, it shows though, like three, two time overall champion in King Kong. It's a sport of millimeters and very precise hand placement. And, you know, it's, it takes a lot of practice and I've definitely put in tons and tons of practice into technique and being explosive and um, if you watch any of my lifts, I mean, I, I gear up before a lift like really, really hard, just trying to like engage every muscle fiber and I just slam off the floor as hard as I can. I tried to do everything as explosive as possible. And I do all my training reps the same way. You know, even when it's really, really light, I load up and try to engage every muscle and just slam it up. And I do that for every rep leading up to one rep max. Yeah, I saw that on the video of your, uh, your 2020 competition. I, I forgot which lift it was, but you were pretty hyped after it. And you, I think you slept on that puddle of oil or something. Yeah, so, yeah. I didn't even know that until I rewatched the video. And then Jed commented and was like, did you slip on oil? And then I'm like, did I? And, you know, I looked at it and I'm like, oh, sure enough. I did. Uh, yeah. So that was a, I lifted 220 on the grapple, which I had, was the most, I'd, I mean, I've never lifted that much. In training, I lifted 211. But I'm sure, you know, whenever you're on a stage in front of people, you get, you know, well, adrenaline going and yeah. it's, it's a whole different thing. So um, that was way more than I'd lifted. And that was, it's a four event contest and that was the third event. And I knew that if I, if I secured that lift, that would probably be the top lift out of the 250 or 230 guys. So um, yeah, I was pretty hyped about that. So, so in the, in the grip sport, what other countries do you think are, are up there with the, with the US? So the US definitely has probably, I would say five to 10 really competitive guys. 
um, if you look at Finland, it's like everyone is really competitive. It's oh, like yeah. you look at uh, you got Hari Tolonen, Yoni Mahonen, Arto Jeronen, Jesse Pinonen. All their names end in Enonen. Um, they're, I mean, really, really strong guys. Uh, a lot of the Scandinavian countries, just in general. Okay. Um, Russia has has a lot of really strong guys. I'm trying to think of who else is is represented quite a bit. Germany has some as well. Um, Scandinavia is definitely a real real hot spot. Um, Any guys from Iceland? Just because of half Thor? You know. I don't think there are any, I'm sure, that, I mean, I'm certain there are guys that train grip in Iceland, but we don't, like, they didn't have a venue for King Kong, and to my knowledge, I don't remember seeing any grip sport athletes coming out of Iceland. Um, don't quote me on that, but none that come to mind. Okay. Well, what, have you ever decided that to to compete in powerlifting ever because it's a great community too just like grip sport very supportive yeah I, I almost i almost brought that up uh when i mentioned the supportive communities um i've always told my wife if, if there was ever something if there was ever a reason that i couldn't climb anymore because i got too heavy hurt something else hurt a finger and just things weren't working out and then i kind of got stagnant in grip i'd want to get into strongman i think oh okay powerlifting is cool but you have those three events Whereas, yeah. whereas strongman has so many things that it's just like big children. It's just like throwing something as far as you can, just like yeah, yeah, rocks and dumping them over bars. It's like that's all. Looks like a lot of fun. Um, I'm I'm just a. I've I've never really trained like with barbell sports before. I think powerlifting would be really fun. I mean, I I've dabbled. Like I mean, I remember. Back in 2013, I just did like bodybuilding stuff. So I mean, I, I benched. I mean, I got up to like a 315 bench in like maybe eight months. So I, I thought that was fast for me. Um, but I've never benched more than like 315. And my heaviest deadlift is on an axle, double overhand, no hook grip, which is stupid. Um, so which is 440. So that's crazy though. Double overhand axle. So. The double overhand axle, yeah. Um, I pull. I every time I, I deadlift a lot, I just I slip a disc, and oh. my, my progress always goes up quick. I mean, my, my when I first started the sport, when I was a rock, a rock climber, like maybe 165, 170 pounds, I remember my like my max deadlift was around like 350, and so I pulled 350 on an axle at nationals, and then that was terrible. I mean, it was terrible. I mean. I, it was it practically looked like a stiff-legged deadlift and like to the horror of everyone spectating of like my back just wrenching and like my face you know I'm for those who can't see I mean I'm very pale I have red hair and like I'm straining as hard as I can my face is like full power tomato and I'm just like and you know just the worst form ever and so fast forward to now and now my axle deadlift is around 440 so I, I mean I've put like a hundred pounds on that lift but um I don't train it very often because when I only train the deadlift whenever it's coming up for a contest, kind of like what I was alluding to earlier. Yeah. Um, so consequently, I'll have a deadlift event, that's, you know, axle deadlift coming up for, say, the Arnold. And say it's coming up in two months. I rapidly train to get my deadlift strong. 
and just peak my CNS for a one rep max in two months, which ends up creating a back injury. So I've, I've come into this horrible situation where I just, it's all my fault for not taking the proper steps to strengthen my posterior chain and lift with good form. And I, I end up just getting injured all the time. So it's kind of to answer your question about what I consider powerlifting and like, what's my interest in that? It's like, I'd like to, I just can't seem to ever do that type of stuff without getting hurt. Yeah. Well, deadlifts is, is tricky. It takes a little, it takes a little time to, to get it right. But when, when you do get it right though, it, your back becomes very bulletproof. It, it becomes very strong. I, I need to make it happen. And I, I think all it's going to take is just a concerted effort where I focus on squats, you know, maybe even pause squats and deadlifts where I don't go heavy. I don't treat it like I have a competition coming up. I just treat it as something that's healthy for me to do. So I've, I've been doing that, but um, I don't know. It's just not one of the things that comes natural for me. Like, so I'm, I, since I come from a climbing background, I mean, I'm 210, 215 right now. And I mean, I can still do one arm pull-ups. So it's like my, my upper back strength has always been, and like my lats has always been like my strongest spot. And lower body is, there's a running joke in the climbing community about people that will put themselves in a wheelchair for months to try to lose lower, lower body mass so that they can be stronger in climbing. Because wow. climbing is all about being as skinny as possible, having as almost as low muscle tone, anorexic, just it's all about your strength to weight ratio. And you don't even use your legs in climbing really at all. Despite what everyone says, you don't use your legs in climbing. Climbing is all about pulling. So I just didn't come from a really healthy perspective of strength sports. Looking at that, I just came from like, you know, be skinny and try to be strong if you can, but you know, don't eat too much. So then coming into a sport that requires a little bit of lifting, like arm lifting, you know, having the axle deadlift in there, for me, getting up to a 440 deadlift was actually kind of hard, as, as embarrassing as that is. Like, to say 450, it's like people are like, or 440, it's like people deadlift 440, I mean, you know, first time they try. But for me, that that was something, so. Yeah, the, maybe maybe the mistake you make is like the, the training it like crazy two months beforehand. I feel like if you extend that time a little bit more, you, you get the technique down more, I feel like it'd be much better. You, you probably won't get injured. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have no, no doubts that it's all, it's all, you know, my fault. But the funny thing is my dad and my brother, they both have had the same injury, right? Where um, your spine kind of like meets your hip, then like your sacrum, just very lowest uh, lumbar spine. Okay. All of us have pulled that spot, just getting out of the car, getting out of bed. So really? I, think, I think, yeah, I think there's like a biomechanical, like, genetic component because i mean separate from lifting like my, my dad does not lift my brother doesn't lift and they both have had the same injury that i have so i, I think i might be a little bit predisposed just in that disc mobility or what the way it's situated um but that's not an excuse i mean yeah it's definitely i mean I'll, I'll tell you a little story i did a podcast with my my good friend jacob hill shout out to jacob hill he has this back condition since childhood called spondylolisthesis. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. Yeah. So like he has like a couple of fractures. He has like a bunch of slip discs and he can pull well over five, 
500. He, his best deadlift, I think, is around 550, 560. And he used powerlifting to heal his back. His like obviously, it's uh, it doesn't hurt. So like it was a lot of pain, very painful in his childhood. Now it still hurts, but way way better than before. Just he was able to build that muscle around the spine to support it. Yeah, yeah, I bet. That's that sounds. I mean, I definitely have the same belief. I, you know, when I haven't gone to the doctor for injuries, and that's not to say that you know you shouldn't listen to doctors. I mean, obviously, you should listen to medical advice. But so often, doctors and medical professionals are not strength training athletes. And in medical school, you're not really taught about strength training athletes. I don't. I wouldn't so, trust doctors on a. On a, on a lifting, on lifting. I don't either. So for example, I, I completely tore my A2 pulley, which for those of you who don't know, if you look at your palm and then you look at the palm surface, like leading up to your fingers, just that little surface there, and you kind of pinch around your knuckles, there's a flexor tendon that runs all the way down all of your fingers into your palm. And then there's these bands that wrap around those pulleys and secure it to the bone. And that's what enables you to hold on to things and to make a fist and to squeeze and to hang from a bar. Um, so one of these pulleys in my ring finger, I completely blew it off the bone. And I was doing a crimp and climbing, a really dynamic move off a crimp. And I just heard a loud crack. And I completely separated this thing. And, and I don't even have an A2 pulley anymore. And it took me like you a still, year to heal you it. You still grip stuff with it, right? Yeah, so I went to a hand specialist. And they told me, oh, don't do anything for like, you know, don't do anything for three months. Keep your hand in a brace. Um, then you're going to require surgery. You're going to need this. You're going to need that. And I said, well, I have full range of motion. And they said, yeah, but and I didn't have any strength, though. And I said, okay, we'll see how this goes. So the, the day that I had full range of motion with minimal pain, the first thing I did was I started climbing on like the easiest possible route with like I mean it's basically like handlebars all the way up you know using all my legs trying to not use my upper body if possible and just barely weighting that finger and just slowly working up to climbing more and that healed it the same thing you see guys that hurt their hamstrings squatting guys that hurt their backs deadlifting and the worst thing that you could possibly do is be stagnant and not work it anymore the way you heal an injury is to start working it immediately once the swelling goes down. If you don't do that, you're screwed. Yeah, that was with me. I, I recently had, well, not recently anymore. Uh, but September September 2019, I had my shoulder fix. Um, my labrum, I dislocated it like probably a million times from wrestling uh, back when I wanted to be a college wrestler and all that. But when I first tore it and I left wrestling to do powerlifting, I didn't need surgery for because all I needed to do was better position on the bench press. Didn't hurt my shoulder and everything. And the, it's yeah, if like you said, if you stay stagnant, you're you're ba it's a death not death sentence, but like you, it, it will it'll hurt it even more. Like like a frozen shoulder. Like yeah, it creates an environment for scar tissue to proliferate. And once scar tissue is proliferating in that or proliferating in the joint, it's just going to get really sclerotic, and you're not going to be able to move and it's stiff and nothing's pliable anymore. It's it's a terrible option, but so many doctors want you to not do any activity and they're super afraid of lifting. They tell you that lifting is the worst thing to do. And this isn't everyone, 
but my experience has been a lot of people kind of pushing me away from doing that, which is odd because it, it can be really strengthening for your bones and connective tissue. I don't really see it as odd. I think it's just a, a cover their ass move. They don't want to get sued. Probably. Yeah, and then you look at them like standing up from their chairs and hobbling down the wards. And yeah, it's like, okay, yeah, it works great for you. Huh? The thing is, like, they, 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 do, they tell that to, to old people too. It's been proven that lifting increases bone density. You know, it could yeah, improve osteoporosis. Yeah, especially in women who are more prone to osteoporosis. Oh, is that, is that true? Females are more prone to that? Oh, yeah. Oh, I yeah, didn't know that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's uh, it's strength training, and I think it's in your years before 30, for sure. When you, In your teen, late teen years into your early 20s, if you can do strength training, like the mineral density and your bone density is going to be way higher and prevent osteoporosis when you're older. Um, and from what I understand, that's much greater of an issue for, for women than it is for men. But I mean, obviously it helps for men too. All right, back on the subject of uh, grip grip training. Uh, we we talked about before we, we started recording how um, a lot of martial arts require gripping, like judo, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, um, wrestling, stuff of that, like grappling type sports. Uh, I don't think you've ever done martial arts, right? You said you, you did Taekwondo back when you were... Yeah, a little bit of Taekwondo, but um, most of the guys you see that come into the grip world typically are from some wrestlers, mostly like jujitsu. Um, guys would want to get a good grip on the gi, yeah. but a lot of what makes guys that do jujitsu strong in grip is this grabbing and kind of bringing to your center just being able to secure something um, because grip isn't just your hands. It's, it's a lot of the connection between your hands, your back, your shoulder and coordination and having like a full connection there. It's the same way with arm wrestling, really uh, a full lower arm sport. Just that's what makes, I think the jujitsu guys good, but I don't do a lot of that stuff. I've, you know, my friend, Adam Glass, like I mentioned him earlier. Um, he did a lot of jujitsu um that's fun as but, that's fun as well i've never done it I've done, i was a wrestler but yeah it's pretty it, fun it sounds it sounds fun did you find when you were wrestling that your grip ever impeded you or do you feel like you could have benefited from having a stronger grip in wrestling well the thing is in wrestling uh any anybody who's rest who was a wrestler can relate when you cut that much weight in a short amount of time it it becomes like it becomes a hindrance because i I tend to, I had less energy when I was, when I had to cut that much weight and right after you weigh in, you're basically on to wrestle. And that kind of, in, in terms of grip strength, that kind of messed it up, like having wrist control and all that. But if I had more grip strength, they would have been a lot better. I think so. Yeah. Mm. But also there's no, it's uh, we're wearing singlets. So it's, it's not like we're, there's a, something to grab onto you're really. You're really only grabbing onto their wrist or like, maybe holding onto their leg when you're going for a takedown, stuff like that. It seems like having <clears throat> like wrist strength might even be more beneficial for you. That resistance, like wrist flexion and the strength to have someone like resist pulling your hand open from a fully flexed position, just being able to secure someone in that way instead of actually grabbing onto them. I could see that being helpful too. Just when you're actually grabbing onto someone's back, you know. Yeah. 
what are, what are the strategies I've seen? Does uh, Shohei Ono, the Japanese judo Olympic champion, he he hung his gi from like a high bar and just grabbed his gi, did pull ups on that. Which I thought was like like you said, sports specificity. You're basically grabbing onto whatever the hell the other guys are wearing on another gi. So you're basically pulling that in. Yeah, that's like a fundamental um, grip exercise for a lot of guys who have minimal equipment is towel pull-ups, which I would oh, definitely okay. put into, into a program if someone just wanted to increase their strength. I'd put towel pull-ups in there, you know, rope climbing, things like that. Um, just reminded me of that when you said doing pull-ups on a gi. It's like, that's a yeah, great exercise. Uh, okay. So on your Instagram account, it says you are vegan. So why did you make it? Plant, it says I'm plant-based, right? Oh, that's not the same thing? Oh, it, it's, I guess we're splitting hairs and just talking semantics. But okay. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, my wife is vegan. So she's a really good cook and everything she makes at home is vegan. Um, so, I mean, I would say by and large, I eat vegan. But, you know, when I'm at work, when I'm out with friends, I mean, I don't have any problems eating, eating dairy, eating things with eggs, butter, cheese, whatever. It's, it's I'm not strict about it, but um, I, I do get a lot of questions about why I do it. Yeah. Um, I think especially in the strength community, you don't see a lot of people that do it. I mean, like Clarence Kennedy comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, Clarence. Yeah, but you, you know, it's, it's not very popular. So, I mean, just the short version of kind of why we did that was, um, so meat outside of Western hemisphere is, is a luxury for a lot of people. So we thought, okay, like, let's see what'll happen if we completely cut out like meat products and hire, like all animal products. I mean, you know, who knows? We'll try it for two weeks. Maybe we'll drop then, whatever. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we just, we just did it and it went fine. I didn't really feel any better. Just sort of a new way to eat some new meals to make new ways to prep food. It's fine. And uh, so I said, okay, let's go back to eating meat. We went back to eating meat and had like, it's not that I lost my taste for it. I just kind of been in, we'd been enjoying the new kind of way of eating. So we kind of just continued it. And it really is just the way that I eat now. It, it's almost like if you woke up every morning and you just chose to have eggs and a banana because you just like having eggs with some Cholula and a banana and that's what you ate every morning and I said well why do you do that Alan why do you do that and you'd be like oh I don't know I just like that that's kind of what I eat every morning and I'd be like well why and you're like I I really don't know what to tell you I, I just kind of like doing that like that that's almost where I'm at now it's like do people that, press you like that like, why do you do that well it, it's just you know people want to know and they think that I'm going to be I'm going to you know say hold on and pull out my soapbox and I'm going to stand on top of it and I'm going to be shaking both my fists enraged about how all of you are eating meat and it's just like ah, I mean really I mean it's number one it's the way that my wife cooks and I enjoy eating everything she makes and two my dad has sky high cholesterol I mean really high cholesterol and um, he switched to eating the way that we eat plant-based and he got his blood redrawn and his cholesterol went down remarkably. So, you know, I'm his son, I'm half his genetics. So I know that I'm probably predisposed to have high cholesterol and high cholesterol is the leading cause of heart disease. You know, high cholesterol, high saturated fats leading to atherosclerosis and then heart disease, yes. right? So I, I wanna avoid that. So if this is a simple thing that I can do, you know, I, 
there's other areas where I'm certainly not as healthy as I could be, but it's a pretty basic thing that I can do um, to prevent that. So that's mostly my, my reasoning for the whole plant-based thing. Um, so it was an experiment and like a health, health change kind of. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't really like, I don't like what's going on in agriculture, how they treat animals and I, I want to stop eating. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the whole ethical thing, it's, it's sad, but if I was to say my stance is all ethical, I'd be super hypocritical because I'm not vegan. I'm okay, yeah. vegetarian. And, you know, the, the, if you're vegetarian and you eat dairy and you eat eggs, you're still perpetuating the meat and dairy industry. And, you know, I mean, if, if you eat eggs, you know, you know what they do with the male chicks? They scoop them all up and they throw them alive in a meat grinder. It's like, you know, people will tell you all these horrible stories. So, I mean, yeah, the ethics of it are sad, but most people know that. And I mean, it's like, oh, well, yeah, it's, they, yeah. it's delicious. So, it's yeah. Like, uh, yeah, right. So, yeah, I, I can't say, I can't take the moral high ground there and say, oh, it's all about ethics because I'm a part of the problem. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, well, I'm glad that you don't attack people for it. I mean, it seems like the, a lot of the vegan community likes to do that. And, you know, it's, just different viewpoints, but I prefer to have a mature conversation about it. Not, not a lot well, of like right after we get off this call, uh, right after we get off this call, me and all my buddies are gonna go throw blood on a steakhouse. So don't speak too soon. <laughs> that's yeah. Do do they do that? Oh my god, that's. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I, people people stand outside of butcher shops with signs throwing blood on customers that come in and out. People are completely heinous. I mean, it's, See, it's, yeah, you can't do that. Like, you think that's gonna make people want to be vegan? Like, it's like what? You know what? It's like, you are right. It's like, yeah, exactly. Right. That. Yeah, people are crazy. It's like if I punched you in the face, be like, you gotta learn how to box so that so I don't do that to you. <laughs> oh wow, you're right about that. I sure should listen to Alan. <laughs> yeah. But it, yeah, the I don't know the the. It's, I'm not against it, you know, because I've because I have an aunt that does that too. She she likes to be vegan. Um, the, the thing. Oh, sorry. What were you gonna say? Oh yeah, she 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 chose to be vegan. I think because uh, I forget why, something with her health. But um, yeah, she she's tried to get me to do it, and I was I was open to it. I was like, she was like, hey, if you like prep for your next competition as a vegan, you know, I'll uh. I'll throw you, throw you some money. I'll, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> I'll, I'll try it. But uh, obviously COVID happened and all, and all that stuff. Well, you know, it, you do have to be more intentional because pe people always ask me, how, well, how do you get enough protein? And if you look at the amino acid profile of literally all foods, everything has a complete amino acid profile except for gelatin. I think it's missing like tryptophan or something like that. Except for so, what? Gel gelatin? Except for gelatin. I, I, I'm, I'm nearly certain that all foods have a complete amino acid profile, even in a very minimal amount. I mean, it's not something that's going to be displayed on like the protein content, but it does have a complete amino acid profile. So when, when people say, well, how do you get enough proteins? It's, there, there was a study done and the, the details of it, I'm not going to be able to tell you exactly, but basically they're, measure, they're measuring the nitrogen output of people, which would be a byproduct of how much protein you're getting. So if, if you're taking in enough protein, your nitrogen balance is gonna, is gonna reflect that. So they put people on 
calorically sufficient diets that were meat-based and plant-based and measuring their nitrogen output, they're not noticing any protein deficiencies. So if you were to eat a diet that was almost just all potatoes, as long as you're meeting your caloric demands, it's pretty hard to be protein deficient. So you'd probably be deficient in other stuff too, though, like vitamins and stuff. Name it. Huh? Name, name something. Like vitamin, vitamin D or something. Okay. Vitamin B is, is fortified in cattle, in cattle food. D, like the sun. Yeah. So, I mean, vitamin B, they fortify all the cattle food with that and chicken feed. So then you eat meat and now you're getting B vitamins from your meat, but you're not getting B vitamins from the meat. You're getting it because the animal supplemented it. So it's like, you're still getting B vitamin supplements. It's just that the cow ate the B vitamin supplement and then you ate the cow. So I just take the cow out of the equation. And so you're correct. I probably am B vitamin deficient, but I take B vitamins. I also take D vitamins. So I don't think I'm deficient. Oh yeah. You, you mentioned the D vitamins that that's important, especially during a time like this yeah. well, pandemic. That's uh, that vitamin D very important for your immunity. Um, the media has failed to, to talk about that. I think. Yeah. You know, with, with the whole, the whole vegan vegetarian thing. Um, and le- like I was alluding to earlier with Clarence Kennedy being one of the only other guys that I can think of that does plant-based that's pretty successful. It's funny how many guys in the grip community have no idea that I eat like this because I think that people are shocked that you can be strong and you can be a successful strength athlete and not eat meat. It's like revolutionary for some people. Um, Sometimes I'm like, I think about it and I put it in my bio, but like, I don't ever tag anything about it. And I never mention it because it's just, it seems a little bit weird to push that agenda, but um Sometimes I, I pause and I'm like, well, should I? Like, is that interesting? Is that something people care about? Like, is, is that an aspect of my training that is different enough that people would be wanting to hear about it? And like, I don't really know. So when I'm asked directly like this, I mean, I'll, you know, I, I have no problem talking about it, but um, sometimes I wonder, I'm like, is this something that people want to hear about? Is this something that it's like, is, you know, is annoying or, you know, I don't know. Well, it's only, only annoying if you're doing that thing where you're throwing blood on customers walking out of butchers right but like did you have you ever posted on your on your instagram like this is like my pre-workout meal or like this is what i eat before training and after training stuff like that no but i mean like i'm i'm not really i'm i mean i'm not small i i have a fair amount of body fat i mean i'm not like muscular but i'm i'm not emaciated and i think if people saw how much i eat in a day they would be shocked i mean like, like, so I would say just today, if we're talking about like what I ate today, I mean, for breakfast, I had two bananas, a Vega protein shake with oatmeal, two tablespoons of peanut butter, hemp hearts, brown sugar, cinnamon, and vanilla. So a whole bunch that that's already, I mean, we're talking like at least 600 calories yeah. just for, and probably more than that for breakfast maybe six, 700, probably 600. And it's like, then I had Chipotle for lunch. That's about 800, maybe a little more than that. And yes, I get, there's still fritas with tofu. What were you gonna say? What do you get from Chipotle? I get their uh, burrito with white rice, pinto beans, sofritas, veggies, 
pico and cheese. Okay. Yeah. It depends on if I'm, sometimes I, I do a bit where I'm trying to do less dairy. So I could do with or without cheese, but still, I mean, that's a bunch. So it's like now we're already up to like what, 1400 calories. And then it's like whatever I have for dinner, which will it be, I mean, my, my wife's cooking dinner right now. And, you know, she makes, I think we're having curry tonight. I'll probably have a double, double dose of that, make that a thousand calories. Now we're, we're doing fine. You look at the protein content of that, if you add it up, it's more than sufficient. And we're about in the mid 2000s in the calories. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So you can get tons of food eating vegetarian, vegan. It's not, it's definitely not an issue. I think people think you'll just be like, you're starving. You're always tired and hungry. <laughs> oh, yeah. and people would be like, well, what do you eat salad? And it's like, no, I, hate, I, <laughs> yeah. hate I don't, I don't, I can't even tell you the last time I ate salad. I never eat. And it's just, I mean, I, eat, I mean, usually today was not one of the days, but usually I have a smoothie with, you know, lots of kale, bananas, you know, blueberries, hemp hearts, things like that. But it's all get greens that way. But, you know, I'm not just, munching on leaves it's not just like rabbit food all day like people would like to think most most vegans people think of like 20 year old snowflake girls you know <laughs> so. yeah maybe have you ever watched the i know netflix has a bunch of documentaries out there i think one of them that was pretty well known was called game changers have you ever watched that one yeah game changers is pretty good um james what's his name um I don't know. I, I haven't watched it in a while. <laughs> I, I want to say, I mean, obviously it's not James Cameron, but it's James something. It sounds like that. Uh, anyway, yeah, he won the Ultimate Fighter. Um, you're oh, the, oh, the guy that was talking, right? Yeah. He, oh, he, did, the, yeah. he did the whole documentary, and then he actually went on to Joe Rogan and defended the whole thing and did a really good job of it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that was, that that was great. It, it's a good documentary. It, he overstates some of the bias yeah, there is a little there, with any documentary there is going to be a little little bias. i wish that i wish that he wouldn't have like said some of the stuff that he said about i mean it, it's been a while since i watched it so i can't remember some of the things that but it, it was it was almost like he took a stance of like oh you go vegan you're gonna like cure all of your ailments You'll yeah be like your cancer is gonna weigh this and that it's like oh my god yo so that that was definitely something that I didn't like as much. Um, e even as someone that is plant based, I mean, you know, I'm not vegan, but my wife is, and watching it, thinking, "Oh man, like people aren't going to listen to you if you make these outrageous claims." But oh, I mean, overall, you know, it was all backed up with, with uh, like peer reviewed articles. If if you look into especially the stuff when you talk about Caldwell Esselstyn and ways to reverse atherosclerosis using only plant-based diets, that's all backed up with research. So it was a pretty good um, documentary overall. It was. The, one, li one little part that irked me was uh, when they mentioned uh, the Conor McGregor versus Nate Diaz. You remember that uh -huh. part? Yeah. How uh, Nate Diaz is a vegan and he, and there's like a clip of Conor saying steak every day, uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I'm always eating steak. And I'm like, all right. And then there's a video of uh, Nate Diaz, uh, beating the crap out of uh, McGregor and I'm like all right that's great but you guys failed to mention that McGregor won in the rematch and, and also I'm pretty sure that like Nate Diaz smokes like six blunts a day in his lungs <laughs> all that guy does is smoke weed it's like do you think that's healthy yeah like, yeah which is strange and then yeah I mean that that 
I mean, I guess like for for the for that for that it would it would make sense to not mention that Connor beat him in the rematch, but I would imagine their diets were the same in the rematch too. And yeah. and I don't, I don't know if diet. Well, I'm not a pro fighter, but I did I did wrestle, but diet maybe does help. I th- I'm not sure, but like it, it there's other factors like you know reaction time, the speed of your jab, and you know defending a takedown. I don't know if like eating vegan can really. One thing that I would that I would mention too is it, getting enough calories and carbs seems to be more important than anything. Like whenever you've gone in pre- preparing for a heavy deadlift session, a heavy bench session, squat, whatever it's going to be, and you've been eating. I mean, you just left the movies and you ate a whole large tub of popcorn, and then you know you just took down a whole bunch of fruit and pop tarts, and you've been eating like an asshole all day. And I mean, you feel strong as hell, right? I mean. Whenever I'm eating tons and tons of carbs and you get super carved up before a competition, you feel awesome. I would almost argue that carbs, it's like people talk about protein so much. And I'm like, yo, what do you, I mean, sure. Yeah, I'm good deal protein. But like, have you ever tried to go lift when you're carb depleted? Oh, that's I mean, horrible. That's no one talks horrible. about lifting being protein depleted. It's like, no, no one talks about that. It's like, you have no issues. You, I mean, you could not focus on your protein intake. For a couple days and just focus on pounding carbs you go into the gym and lift you're going to feel great carbs is what makes you feel strong i mean sure protein is going to build muscle but um I, I i wonder about that sometimes i'm like how come nobody's really talking about the fact that to be strong you have to eat a ton of carbs oh yeah well it, it's it's up there like they'll, they'll see lifters like like larry wheels like during one of his meets that he broke a world record he had like chipotle like in between yeah. attempts you know, he's yeah. a, lot, a lot of white rice and all that. Did he start doing the honey too? Was that him? The what? Honey. Like just dumping a bunch of honey in his mouth before, his, like during his meats and stuff. Did he do? I don't think he's ever. Do people do that? I've never seen that. That's weird. I do it. Really? Does that work? Just before the meat, during the meat, just quick energy. You know, I mean, it's the same thing as like those little cliff bar gel packs, whatever the little gel energies are, you know, all those are just simple sugars. Oh, just, all yeah, right. Just suck down a bunch of simple sugars. You're ready to go. Yeah, well, the thing is, in, in powerlifting, the meats are the whole day. And then, like, there's, I always get dehydrated. I always cramp up. I need, <laughs> I need to get my electrolytes in. I think King Kong this year lasted six hours, if not longer. Ooh, yeah, that's tough. Powerlifting meats are all day. I mean, grip competitions are often all day as well. Yeah. Let's see. So you, you've been grip been in grip sport for three years i you know i, I get three three and a half something like that i kind of lose track but yeah something like that who would you say your biggest supporters are during that time like my biggest supporters yeah um my wife supports me a lot i mean my family's always um just asking me how things are going you know they're on top of it but um i mean if it wasn't for just I, I live in, a, I mean, a townhouse with a one-car garage with, with neighbors kind of buttoned up against me, and I, I still get up every morning, and I focus on just drilling this stuff as hard as I can, so I mean, I'm severely internally motivated. I mean, I'm very, very motivated to win. I mean, I, you know, so not to sound like narcissistic, but like, I guess not I'm that. my own motivator. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, my, my wife entertains all of my 
nerdy grip talk when I come up to her and I explain the minutia of how my lift today was more successful than my lifts, you know, last week. Um, and, you know, she nods and, you know, smiles. <laughs> okay, honey. Okay. You know, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Adam Glass has been super, super supportive. Um, he's my main training partner. So uh, he's kind of seen how I've progressed throughout the last, we've been training for probably two, yeah, two years now together. Um, so that, that's definitely really beneficial. So let's see. So the records that you have right now, I think you, do you have a silver bullet record? Is that still yours? The silver bullet? Yeah. 30.98 seconds. That gripper right behind me, that one right there. That's oh, okay. the number four gripper that I used to, to break the record. Um, the previous record was like 19 seconds. What the so, fuck? He blew it out of the water. Jeez. Yeah. So it was pretty awesome to, to beat it by so much. And the cool thing was the, the guy, I don't know if you know Clay Edgen or Swolbiz on Instagram. Um, he had the previous record and he was at the same competition. So after I set the record, he was next up on launch and uh, like on deck to go. So he went and with the same gripper, he didn't, I mean, I think he got maybe 20 seconds or something like that. So, um, it's like, like did break his head. own record then. Yeah. Head to head with, on the same day, same conditions, you know, with grip, sometimes humidity and temperature, if it's really hot, sometimes, you know, it makes a difference if your hands are sweaty. So like same conditions, same gripper, same everything. Um, it was legit. I, I beat him. So I, I was glad to actually be there when the former world record holder was there. So I could, you know, make sure it was legit. So yeah, not- I have. I do still have that record, which is crazy. I mean, someone should beat it eventually. Because let, let me see when I set that record. That was that was January two thousand nineteen. Wow, you can't chalk up for it. You talked about humidity. Oh no, you can chalk up. But oh, okay. It, yeah, well, I mean, that, that's a whole separate conversation in itself. But yeah, the, the way that temperature, humidity, and dew point, and everything, I I feel that that makes a difference on okay. how my hands feel when I grip the bar. Um, like I, I always lift more in the winter than I do the summer. So you also have uh, a, CO, a Captains of Crush number three certification, which I see on the top right there. Uh, yep. uh, do you have a 3.5 yet? I feel like you can. You, you can uh, I've done it in training, but I have not done it for the certification. But now is the time to do it. Um, and usually you have to have a referee come out and watch you and do the whole thing. Um, all the three and a halfs that I've been seeing, you know, we all rate our grippers. So you take the amount of poundage it, it takes to close the gripper. And if you were to open four number threes right now and rate them all, they would all rate slightly different. They'd probably all be around 150 pounds, but one of them might be 148. One of them might be 154. One of them might be 150, you know. So right now, all the three and a halfs that people are rating coming out of uh, the Iron Mine factory are a little on the easy side. A little Ooh, okay. on the inside. So, so we've seen a couple people that have been certifying because new rules with COVID stuff is you can just submit a video of you opening the gripper, like from the package, package, right? Yeah, open it on video. Uh, you have to close it from a credit card with, and you know if you demonstrate all of that, they'll give you the certification. So, I mean, I I did a, I haven't been doing grippers a lot. I've had a kind of a lingering pinky injury, um, but. I've done a I've done a credit card set from my my easy three and a half 
Um, so now is kind of the time to do it. Now that all the recent batches are a little on the soft side. <laughs> for the for the three point fives or the threes? Yeah, sorry. yeah, for, yeah, for the three point five. Oh, okay. Well, I can't. Well, I'm not there yet. I'm still working on a three. But how does how does that certification work? They send you one themselves, and then you have to send it back mm-hmm. after you close it. No, outside of just the COVID stuff, normally the, the way it works is you send them an email and you say, hey, I want to certify on the such and such dripper. And they say, okay, great. Uh, how many times have you done it under certification um, certification rules? How many times have you done that? And you say, oh, I've done it a couple of times. And often they'll ask you to send them a video okay. of you demonstrating that you can close like a three, for example, under, under certification rules. And they'll say, okay, and they'll send you a gripper. And then, or rather they send the gripper to a referee in your area. And then you and that ref can uh, schedule a time when you can meet up together. And then you open the package. Usually you should do it on video just to make sure, I mean, not everyone does, but you, you should have video of it just in case people try to call foul. And then you have to set the gripper, um, just like a normal captain's or crush hand gripper. Uh, you barely kind of close it in your hand until it's still pretty wide, like about the width of a credit card. And you slide an iron mine card, they send you a card too. Slide it through the handles, then close it until the handles touch, open it back up, and then you submit it to Iron Mine or the referee submits it and says, hey, it was successful. You fill out the form, send it to them. And uh, the gripper is yours to keep if you're successful. If you're not successful, you have to send it back. But I oh, think okay. you have to send it back. I, never, I didn't fail my cert, so I kept the gripper. <laughs> Oh, so it's just for free? Nice. Yeah. If, if, you, if you certify. I'm, I'm yeah. still, I'm right there. But I, I, I tried to train to get it as a, when I was 19, but now I'm 20. So yeah. obviously I'm still going to try to do it. But. Well, what, what's funny is it's kind of like what I was talking about earlier with there being three versions of the Rolling Thunder. So that's an Iron Mind product. Captains of Crush Grippers are an Iron Mind product. And in 2000, or prior to 2012, you could consider yourself you, you can get on the number three roster on their website by just submitting a video of you with the handles closed. So people would like mash the gripper like almost shut and then just be like, just close it real quick and then just like snap a photo or like get a quick video and you'd send it to them. And so you, you see tons of people before 2012 that are certified. Yeah. If you look at people that have been certified since then, it's like dramatically less. I, so I only knew I that about the four. What's that? I only knew that about the four because uh, they used to not have like uh, you didn't have to do a credit card set with the four. You just you could just mm-hmm. like deep set it and just just close it. Yeah, which I mean, like I yeah, I've deep set it a four, and then just kind of gone like that with it being like I mean maybe the width of like a hair from being. <laughs> and so it's like you could almost say, oh, I've almost been certified on the four, but like that's it's ridiculous, you know. So I, I wish that they would separate the list. And just be like, hey, new rules. These are the guys that have done it. You know, respect to all the guys that did it back in the day. But like, it's a totally different thing. I mean, I was able to close the three from a deep set 19 times, like clicking it before I was able to do it from a wide set, which is abnormal. Most people aren't that bad at a wide set as I am. But still, it kind of demonstrates that it's a different thing. That's funny you mentioned that. That's the same dilemma powerlifting has with uh, the bench arches when it gets crazy and they're like uh we might have to change something there because there are arches that are like the press becomes like same thing like a hair the range of motion is yeah almost nothing and 
it's not pleasing as a spectator or like that. I mean, I'm sure you've seen it. You go to powerlifting meets, there's no spectators. It's just everyone's friends and family. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's a little bit a small nerdy sport, which same with grip. It's kind of a little small, just group of, you know, it's fun guys. Everyone's in their own little group. You know, it's kind of a lot of it's a counterculture type of people that are into this stuff. And you think, well, what can we do to perpetuate the sport more? And it's like, is the bench arch really the way to build the sport? You know? Yeah. It, I mean, the, it, it's not fun to watch when someone is out this wide and their back's so arched all crazy and you move the bar path like one inch. And it's like, oh, congratulations. I guess you benched 225. That's good for you. Yeah, it's the rules are it's like you got to keep your 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 butt on the bench, your your scaps on the bench, I think. But other than that, you, you just you got to make sure the bar doesn't come back down when you're pressing it and you're good. It just you just the arch part, I don't know. I don't know if they'll ever cuz they they've talked about getting powerlifting into the Olympics. And I've always I'm pretty pessimistic about that. I'm like, I don't think it can really make it there they already have olympic weightlifting and yeah olympic weightlifting is more dynamic and pleasing as a spectator to watch yeah the powerlifting but yeah it's, it's almost like not i mean not to put it down but it's, it's like a lesser version of olympic weightlifting as someone's just watching someone explode a, you know a power clean it's like oh that that's something when you see someone move a bar two inches and the crowd goes wild it's like oh did we see something yeah i think i know more athletes and the Olympic weightlifting world than powerlifting, which is kind of sad because this is the sport I compete in. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's an unpopular opinion. I hope you guys don't hate me for it, but I don't really watch powerlifting that much. Yeah, like, it's, fun. it's fun to follow, though. Yeah, I mean, you, you see the stat. I mean, we are in a bench press golden age, if you haven't noticed. Almost the, the record is just the, the at least the raw bench record, at least. Yeah, we're up to over 700 pounds now. It's uh right now I think it's seven seventy, I think Crazy. seven something. But if you if you caught that whole drama with the ESPN, the the misload of Julius Maddox's bench, I saw that. That yeah. was absurd. That's embarrassing. Yeah, and it was it was in front of ESPN. Like <laughs> of all times, you could mess up. Come on, it it can't be in front of ESPN. Or or the guy that like uh. Was that the same time when someone didn't catch the weights and it like nearly crushed him? Was it that same video that same day? Nearly crushed. Well, no, I think when they misloaded it, it obviously when he unracked it, it, it misgrooved and it moved to the side, but they, they caught it right away. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm trying to think of the one where the spotter wasn't like paying attention and like went and celebrated the spotter celebrated prematurely. You know the video I'm talking about? Was it a squat or a bench? Uh, no, it was a, it was a bench. Oh, I don't know. What? I can't remember it. Yeah. All, all kinds of crazy, crazy things that happen. Hopefully, yeah. Gripsport. I mean, has Gripsport been exposed to ESPN yet? No. No. World of, um, what's it called? Um, World's Strongest Hands is probably the closest, but I don't think that ever got on any, any broadcast. All right. Well, um, why don't you let the listeners know where they can where they can follow you on your social media? Tag yourself. Yeah, I'm at um, Tanner Merkel, just T A N N E R M E R K L E, and that's for Instagram. I have a YouTube channel, 
Um, it's just Tanner Merkel as well. But I pretty much don't upload anything there. There's just some highlights of rock climbing, maybe a couple grip feats here and there. But Instagram is where I post most of my stuff. Yeah, this is a two-time King Kong International champ. Thanks for being on the podcast, man. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Yeah, of course. It's been a pleasure. All right, guys. That was episode 55. Peace out.